You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Good morning, CHC. William Sidney Porter, better known as his pen name, O. Henry, uh, wrote short stories. And one of his most popular short stories, especially in the 20th century, was The Gift of the Magi that tells the story of a young couple, Jim and Della, who had very little money but wanted to buy Christmas gifts for each other. Uh, it was a day before Christmas, and Della wanted to get her husband Jim a beautiful gift. But Dell only had one prized possession and that was her hair that wrapped her body like a robe. It was long, it was beautiful. And he, or she went to the hairdresser and she had her hair uh, cut and sewed her hair for $20. Now Jim had one prized possession and that was his pocket watch. And she took the money to buy a platinum chain for this pocket watch. And she anxiously waited for him to get home, and he sees her with her hair cut, and he begins to listen to what she had to say. And she explained, hey, I cut my hair so that I could get you a gift. And then she showed this platinum chain for his pocket watch. Then Jim handed Della his gift. It was an assortment of expensive combs with jeweled edges for her beautiful hair that he had purchased, you guessed it, by selling his pocket watch. Although the couple now were left with gifts that neither could possibly use, they realized how willingly they were, how willingly they were to go to all lengths to show their love and devotion to one another, how deep and priceless their love was for one another. When's the last time that you've paused to consider the fact that worship is an act of love? That worship is an act of love. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. We've been in a series called Countdown to Calvary. Easter is just right around the corner. And we see a woman who demonstrates extravagant worship, extravagant love for Jesus. And let's look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip down and read verses 10 and 11. These are kind of bookends to what this woman does as she anoints Jesus. So verses 1 and 2, it says, Now two days before Passover, the festival and the festival of the unleavened bread, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people might riot. Verse 10. Then Judas, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange, to arrange to betray Jesus to them. And we know that he was going to be paid uh, 30 pieces of silver. That's what Matthew tells us. They were delighted when they heard that he had come. I mean, I picture them giving him himself high fives and like, finally, we found someone. We found an insider. They promised to give him money, that 30 pieces of silver. And so he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so we see the bookends of this passage is people are trying to betray Jesus. They're trying to kill Jesus. They're trying to get rid of Jesus. And then we come to this woman who shows this extravagant worship and this extravagant love. 
In verse 3, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were angry. And why waste, so, why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You always have the poor among you. You can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could what she could, and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. If this story sounds familiar, at the same time, maybe a little bit different to you, it's because this story is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It records a story about a woman anointing Jesus. And that leaves us with a question. If all of the, these stories are like this, is it four different stories or is it one story with a few slight differences? Or another option is it's not one story or four stories, but something in between like two or three stories. Luke's chapter 7 happens near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and the main point of this story seems to be very different than the others. We see a sinful woman and a story that, that basically is around forgiveness. The other accounts, Matthew and John, could be the same story that we're reading here in Mark, or they could be all separate occasions. Today, though, we're just going to focus on Mark's account. We see that Bethany was near Jerusalem, and Jesus had good friends that lived there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who he had raised back to life. Uh, also, there must have been a guy named Simon the leper. Other translations uh, call him that, Simon the leper. Uh, the New Living Translation says that he had leprosy and was cured. And obviously, he, would, he needed to be cured because uh, if you came in contact with a leper, you would have been unclean and would not have been able to participate in the Passover. And so I, I'm sure that, that uh, he would have been cured by this point in time, but he kept that name, Simon, uh, Simon the, the leper. Uh, perhaps Simon was cured by Jesus, and maybe that's why he opened up his home to him. So a woman comes to a meal, and she, she breaks this expensive jar of uh, perfume. Uh, it would have been about a year's worth of wages for a common laborer. Uh, these flasks that these per, this perfume would have been held in uh, were expensive as well. Uh, we know that it was nard. It was a uh, plant made from uh, India, and, uh, and Mark tells us that it was pure. It was high quality. It was some of the best of the best. Now, I like smelling good, and, and recently I've been doing a little bit of research on cologne, and, and, and I ran across some of the most expensive colognes or perfumes. Uh, I think it was back in 2011 or around there, there was a perfume that sold for a million dollars called Golden Delicious. And it really wasn't the perfume that made the price so high, but the bottle. It has 2,909 precious stones uh, that included diamonds and rubies. And it took a, about 1,500 hours to hand place each stone, as a, and, and it made a skyline of New York City. 
I couldn't imagine paying a million dollars for some perfume. As much as I love my wife, uh, I can tell you I, I could not, one, I couldn't afford it, but two, uh, it just seems like a waste to spend that amount of money. But then I found uh, another uh, perfume and, uh, uh, or cologne, and it was called uh, Clive's Christian Imperial Majesty, and it sells for about $435,000 for uh, about uh, 17 ounces. And it's one of the most, or it is the most expensive bottle in the world. There's only 10 bottles made. Just expensive, and, and it's expensive because of what's inside, and sometimes it's, it's expensive because of the bottle. And now, like I said, I, I like cologne and I like smelling good, but there's just no way that I would spend that amount of money. I, I want you to imagine taking one of these bottles and pouring it over someone, like the cost of that and the expense. We don't know where this woman got her, uh, her perfume at. Maybe she saved for it. Maybe she took up a collection. Maybe she got online and said, hey, will you uh, help me ra give, give me some money so that I can get this perfume? Maybe it was something that was passed down to her. Maybe she was wealthy. We don't know. But we do know that she pours it on Jesus. And this is a demonstration of lavish love, smashing this expensive container so it could never be used again. And the bystanders, they complain. They say that she's wasting it. That, that, that could have been sold and used, to, and the money could have been used for the poor. But Jesus rebukes them, saying what she did was beautiful, that he's about to die, and, and this woman does something very precious for him. Now, he tells them, you always will have the poor among you, and, and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. And he, here he addresses their concern about the poor. Jesus begins by quoting Deuteronomy 15:11. There will never cease to be poor in the land. Now, this isn't a dismissal of the poor or the need to care for them. In fact, the verse in Deuteronomy goes on to say that, that you'll have the poor, that the poor will always be with you. Therefore, I command you, you should open wide your hand to your brother and sister, to the needy and to the poor in the land. But Jesus is teaching them, he's teaching them that even though you have the poor and you were supposed to help the poor, that he's not going to be physically present much longer. That there is no limit on, on the time that you can show love to the poor by helping them. But there is a limited amount of time that he will be in uh, on this earth. And, and so this woman does this precious thing for him. Now, if one, one of the people that may be complaining is Judas, and we learn from the book of, book of John that Judas is a thief, that he's in charge of the money. And so if he's complaining, I think, I'm thinking he probably wants part of that money. He's thinking, man, that, that could be money in my pocket. He wasn't really concerned about the poor. Now, we don't know for sure if Judas was the one complaining, but I could see that being the case. And Jesus says, hey, leave her alone. Stop criticizing her. I mean, she's done this beautiful thing. She's anointed my body for burial. This is an act of devotion, not of waste. And she's preparing my body for burial, which was common. After someone died, and they would put spices and they would put perfume and, and all of these things. And normally it was done by the woman in the community. And so she gave more than what she even knew. Her, her expression of love is seen to, as being being something that she she's doing something that she doesn't even realize that
Jesus is about to go to the cross and she's already preparing his body for it. So what can we learn from the story? Uh, first of all, often the lowly un and unexpected ones uh, get it right when it comes to Jesus and the kingdom of God. L let me say that again. Often the lowly and unexpected ones get it right when it comes to Jesus and the kingdom of God. So often when you read through the Gospels, you'll, you'll see the outcasts that, that get the picture more than the religious leaders do. Have you ever noticed the theme of women, uh, of women disciples of Jesus getting it right? Uh, and it continues all the way through the story of, of Jesus' death and resurrection. The twelve disciples fleed or denied Jesus. But the women disciples were the disciples at the cross in Mark 15, verses 40 and 41. After Jesus' death, there was, the twelve were nowhere to be seen. But the women disciples tended to his body and then discovered that Jesus is raised. And they're the first to preach the gospel, Mark uh, chapter 16 and Matthew uh, 28. Is it possible in churches that we have so many male voices that we've neglected the women voices, that maybe we need to be more intentional about hearing more of the women voices in our life and in our churches? Is it possible that we've overlooked some of the younger voices, the younger generations, and, and we need to be more intentional about hearing their voice? CACC is trying to be intentional about this, of listening to a wide range of voices, because we see this in the New Testament. We don't have all the answers. We don't have everything figured out. And we need people at the table to give us insight. And secondly, when we look at this story, expect to be misunderstood when you worship God with extravagance. We should not be surprised that when we pour our lives out to God that people might criticize us. That they don't understand our worship and devotion to Jesus. That people might frown upon us. That people might criticize us for going to church or for giving to, to a church or for serving. Um, but if this happens, keep on loving people anyway. Don't get angry with them. Keep on loving, loving them. Jesus washed the feet of Judas the, the following night. And, and, and we see that despite when people criticize Jesus, he still continued to love them. And so even when people criticize us for worshiping God worshiping Jesus, we want to continue to love. Thirdly, if you're worried about how others are worshiping, you're probably not worshiping in the first place. It's really easy to criticize people during worship. Uh, we, we can kind of take out our little gray card and we say, well, uh, I like this or I don't like that, or that person was moving a little too much in front of me. They may have been dancing or they've been, they may have been offbeat, and we can have all of those things in our mind. But if you're worried about what other people are doing in worship, chances are you're not worshiping. And that's what Satan wants. He wants you to take his eyes off of Jesus and, and to look around and look at others. And, and finally, this unnamed woman's extravagant love for Jesus is a model for us. And she shows us that it's appropriate to express our devotion to Jesus, our love to him. And even though it's not geared toward helping other people, it's an expression of our love for God is what she does. And it's never a waste. It's a beautiful thing when we pour out our hearts to God. Now, Jesus isn't physically present with us, so we can't do exactly what she did. And that was a unique situation. But we can show our love for Jesus by worshiping and by serving him, by giving to the kingdom. 
We can still take advantages uh, of the opportunities that Jesus gives us. And so here's my challenge for you today. What's one way that you can worship God extravagantly this week? What's one way that you can worship God extravagantly this week? So many times we just kind of go through the motions when we're worshiping. But I want you to give all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. Think of one way that you can worship Him where you just go all out.